0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Let me ask as you watch that clip of uh, Senator Scott, uh, aside from the fact that you and I probably uh, vehemently disagree with him, he really didn't answer the question. Because if there is systemic racism, naming a few people elected doesn't deal with the systemic problem from the economic opportunities to lifestyle and all of that explain what the systemic racism means it doesn't mean you won't have some that will break through because others fought for them to break through but it's a system that's set up that's different black to white if the system is set up to disadvantage black people and black people are not disadvantaged what is the system and the answer to that question asked by Al Sharpton to Ibram X. Kendi is, well, there has to be a system because this is how we get paid, by talking about how bad the system is. So, of course, there's a system. Next question, Al. Thank you, Dr. Kendi. My gosh, you're wonderful. No, you're wonderful, Al. No, you're wonderful, Dr. Kendi. But we can both agree white people are bad. Back to you, MSNBC. Oh, do I actually have to listen to the whole interview? No? Yes? Yeah? No. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What is going on? 833 got Tony 833 8669 Good to be with you. Uh it it it's this is all from that interview on on the view. Uh where you know Sunny Hostin who oh, oh I and and I shared with you earlier exactly what went down with with uh Alyssa Farrah Griffin how she learned that she will always be hated. They don't think of her as an equal. Sonny Hostin and Joy Behar don't think she's an equal. Sonny Hostin hates you. Sonny Hostin thinks she's better than you. And certainly Joy Behar and is just a, a part of a long list of liberal white women who are more than happy to hate themselves and say anything in order to be liked by people like Sonny Hostin, because the minute she disagrees with Sonny Hostin, Joy Behar will be told, we well, see that's just your white privilege talking. And that's how it works. Prevents people from having conversation. Therefore, you note that systemic racism for people like Ibram Kendi, the guy who brings us anti-racism. Anti-racism is racism. It states to confront racism, bigotry with bigotry, and confront, confront future discrimination with discrimination. Fight discrimination with discrimination, and fight future discrimination with discrimination. No one's done anything to you. Discriminate against them anyway. And so when you have Al Sharpton, a guy who has made his entire living in, in my view, in shakedowns, I won't even get into Freddie's Fashion Mart, asking Ibram Kendi this question. You're like, well, this is surreal. Because there's nothing intellectual happening here. There's only one answer that could possibly be given. And the answer is the one that allows them to continue going about profiting from this very idea.
1: Precisely. So when we understand racism, we should understand it as this collection of of, of, of policies and practices that are leading to racial inequities and are substantiated by ideas of of, of, racial hierarchy. So what that means is you have, uh, black people who are disproportionately impoverished or incarcerated. And so when we assess, uh, racism as a structural phenomenon, we're actually looking at groups of people. We're looking at communities. We're not looking at individuals. And, and I think Senator Scott wanted to focus on individuals, uh, because There certainly have been individuals who uh, over the generations have been rising into positions that previous uh, generations they would not have been able to. But at the same time, uh, you have black people who are being their votes are being suppressed. Both are happening at the same time. You can have individuals rising into positions and communities still being excluded.
0: No one's vote is being suppressed. It wasn't suppressed in Georgia, no matter what they said. That didn't happen it didn't happen. More people voted in in this last election than ever. But let's go back to something that, that Ibram Kendi is saying there. Ibram Kendi is saying that the problem with Senator Tim Scott is that he's focused on the individual. You got to look at the group and how the group is doing and that's how the structural racism works. Wait a second. Instead of stating that the people who break through are the exception, what if I stated that the people who break through are the people who no longer believe Ibram Kendi's nonsense? They're the ones who have realized, wait, there is no impediment in my way. Now, that's a far cry from me saying there aren't people out there who hate others because of the color of their skin. They do. And there are people out there who hate others for their religion. And that's true. Remember, there are people out there who hate me because I'm Jewish. They hate me. No one ever said to me, Tony, it's going to stop you. Tony, they hate you, so you can't be a doctor or a lawyer. And I became a, a radio host, so you can imagine how disappointed my stereotypical parents would be. Thank goodness they're not stereotypical. Oh, huh. whoo. What if the people breaking through are the people saying there's something better than what you're claiming, which is, well, the reason you're not is because look how they're keeping you down and look at you. This is where you are and you're always going to be kept down. You're always going to be here. Look at this. Oh, you see that person broke through. They don't understand. They're not really black. They don't understand struggle. Isn't that exactly what Joy Behar and Sonny Hostin said that Tim Scott, Senator Scott or or Justice uh, Clarence Thomas, they don't really understand what it is to be black. Is that what it is to understand what it is to be black? To be black is you will always be oppressed and you will never be able to make it. That's your message? Because that seems to be the message of Ibram Kendi and Al Sharpton, that it is it is the structure that exists that keeps everybody down and every now and then somebody rises and that's just luck. Are, 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 are you sure? Doesn't seem like it would... It's, it's just luck. It could be, it could be these are the people who have become uh, aware that what they're being fed by people like Ibram Kendi and Al Sharpton isn't worthwhile. Wait, hold on. Is that what we mean by woke? The, 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 the people who crack through are actually the woke? Well, that, this whole thing just took a full unique circle right there. Now, I'm not going to be listening to Al Sharpton and Ibram Kendi tell me about structures when they rely on those structures for their own profit. When that conversation starts happening, well, that's going to be real fascinating. Oh, I know I'm going to get emails. Who do you think you are, Tony? You're not allowed to talk about race. Uh, Sure I am. And uh, you can email me, Tony at TonyKatz.com. But I can talk about anything I damn well please. America's pretty great. Oh, you can talk about anything you want to as well. Skin color doesn't matter. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. There will be no contempt charge for FBI Director Christopher Wray, and it makes perfect sense. If he's going to do the thing that you want him to do, then there's no reason to hold him in contempt. And that thing is showing you the form, Uh, FD, what is it,
1: 1030,
0: what the heck is the name of that form? The form that the, the whistleblower says shows that Joe Biden was taking payment, willing to take payment to move policy. What is the name of that form? It's the FD something or other. FD 1023, I knew I'd figure it out. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. This form has been the basis of a fight. The form, according to a whistleblower, shows that uh, Joe Biden was willing to work with foreign nationals, one if, if not multiples, And make policy changes based on dollars coming into the Biden family. And there's other stories about Biden corruption. And all of those stories need to be looked at and investigated. This was something different. I am not arguing that the document is true nor false. I haven't seen the document. I am not making an argument about the validity of the document. It exists. We know this much people like Jamie Raskin, Democrat, a guy who has challenged election results before, he's an election denier, is Jamie Raskin. Well, you can have cancer and have a, and and be an election denier. I, I want him to to be able to survive this. I want him to lead a long and and happy life as I would want for the vast majority of, of people. That doesn't mean that he isn't an election denier. He is what he is, what he is. He challenged the election results of Donald Trump. Jamie Raskin is an election denier, and it can never be said otherwise, and it shouldn't be. His argument regarding this form is, just because the form exists doesn't mean that it's proof of the thing on the form. Now, he actually does have a point here. If the form, the FD-1023 is where members of the FBI would be taking notes as uh, information is presented to them. And then from there, they decide or, or work with their system. And I should say decide, right, whether or not there, there's something here to investigate or there's nothing here. Right. That can be decided from the form that the form itself is not necessarily proof of the thing in question. This is his argument. I think it's actually a fine argument. And if we were rational people engaged in a rational society and a rational world and rational thought, we would then say, hmm, that's interesting. Now let's take a look at what the investigation tells us and why did they do this and why did they do that? But it would also start with this idea that if you think I'm going to believe the FBI, you're nuts because the FBI has proven itself as completely and totally untrustworthy uh, from the very, very top. They can't be trusted. They're not engaged in investigations because they're only engaged in political investigations. No investigations of Hillary, no investigations of Biden, but investigations of Trump when we know they were invented, the entire thing was invented by Hillary and her team? Stop it. Don't tell me I have to trust you. Don't tell me to have faith in you. That dog won't hunt. Any, uh, people who have faith in the FBI to me are, are, are hilarious uh, trust but verify, check, double check and recheck James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok all untrustworthy people and add to that list Christopher Wray. Now, some people want to remind you that Christopher Ray was appointed by Donald Trump who cares who cares, he's the guy who gave me Rex Tillerson he's the guy who gave me uh, Michael Cohen Trump doesn't pick good people what the hell kind of conversation is this who cares if Trump picked them? It doesn't matter. The story is not what's in the document. The story is whether or not the document is shown to the House Oversight Committee. Because what Christopher Wray, the FBI director, said is, We're not showing you the document. And then what he said is, Well, if you want to see the document, you come to me. We'll go to a skip, a secure compartmentalized information facility, and then I'll show you a redacted version. Of the document, a document that we know is not classified. Even if it was classified, it wouldn't matter to me. I got to admit, the more I've thought about that, if 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 the House has oversight capability, if we're going to argue this and they want to see information, they get to see the information. If that isn't the case and the FBI and the DOJ is not answerable to the people, well, we've got a whole nother situation now, don't we? So Christopher Ray had said, "No, we're not showing you this document." And James Comer, the Republican from Kentucky who heads the Oversight Committee, said, "I'm sorry, maybe you didn't hear me. I want the document." And, and Ray said, "Well, we'll show it to you this way. We'll show it to you that way. We're not giving it to you." To which Ray said, "Okay." And not Ray, uh, Comer said, "Okay, Christopher Ray, we'll hold you in contempt." And the left clutching their pearls and they can't believe it and you're gonna throw them in jail is that what you're gonna do what kind of nonsense and people started screaming stunt left right and center of course they were wrong people like uh the extremist hakeem jeffries representative from new york wrong uh people like election denier representative jamie raskin wrong nothing about this is a stunt this is a question of whether or not the fbi can keep information from congress from your representatives and mine. And the answer has to be no. You might say to me, well, Tony, what if a classified this or whatever that? That may be a reason for getting the information to them in one of these skiffs. But this was an unclassified document that the FBI admitted that they had. And they didn't want to show it because why? Because it might reflect badly on Biden and the FBI. And of course, its upper echelons is completely and totally political. That's what it looks like. That's what it smells like. And if he wants to defy a congressional subpoena, the FBI director is more than welcome to. Just like the House Oversight Committee is more than welcome to not only engage uh, the, 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 the subpoena, but to hold Christopher Wray in contempt for not responding to the subpoena. Of course they can. Christopher Ray could decide what he's going to do there. He could avail himself Of the courts, he can do a whole series of things if he wants. But what he doesn't get to do is decide, nah, I don't listen to you, you don't matter. And this move now of sharing everything with House Oversight proves that Comer's threat was taken seriously. Now, Christopher Ray has said, you know what? I don't want to be subpoenaed, or I'm already being subpoenaed. I don't want to uh, have, have a problem with you. Here, everybody in the House Oversight Committee can see the document. And because of that, James Comer said, okay, we will uh, we'll withdraw, you know, any uh, uh, contempt uh, proceedings. Because he had to. When you win... You know, it, it, it's it's part of Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals. When you win, you then have to deal with the consequences of winning. You don't get to hold the guy in contempt when he's showing you the documentation. But we should be clear, we should be clear that this is the FBI caving. And the FBI caving is an extremely important moment because it has to show, not to the FBI but to extremists like Representative Hakeem Jeffries and election deniers like Representative Jamie Raskin, that they're not in charge. And all of their posturing to the press, all of their complaining to Joy Reid, all of their uh, uh, caterwauling on CNN doesn't matter. And to the American public, this is what happens when you're actually in control. Republicans could have, would have gotten nowhere if Democrats had control of the House. Nowhere. Because being interested in the rule of law is not interesting to the political left. Again, let me go back. I didn't say this document proves anything. I don't know what's in this document. It was that the FBI didn't want to show the document. That was the issue. That was the problem. Of course the FBI has to show it. And this Democratic Party would have been on the side of the FBI saying they don't have to show it. They don't have to show it. We need to get past the political to be able to get into the real. What is happening? What do these things say and then what do they mean? Does this document prove that Biden's guilty? How would I know? I haven't seen the document. There's a lot out there about money flowing and 10% for the big guy and the laptop from hell that belongs to his son, Hunter, and everything else. I think there's a lot of issues for the Bidens, and I do believe this is a duplicitous group. I have no idea about this document, but leave that to the side because that was never the story. It was about showing the document. And threatening to hold Ray in contempt worked. So this is how you have to operate. The political right might actually be learning that it doesn't matter what the FBI director says, you hold them in contempt. It doesn't matter what the political left screams and yells and the names that they call you and going to MSNBC and getting their like-minded fellow travelers in, in the mainstream media, which is the Democratic Party, to write this or to say that, it didn't matter. The only thing that matters is is having control of that house to be able to actually do the things because the political left doesn't actually care if the FBI defies the Republicans, they believe, screw the Republicans, I hope they die anyway. That is that is pretty awful. But is there any question that I'm, like, directly over the target? <laughs> I, am, I am completely and <laughs> totally over the target here. This is the story. This is why this story matters so much. and it's important for us to make sure we break these up into its its pieces. What the document says and the validity of the document of, of the information in the document is different is different than whether or not Chris Foret had to provide the document. That was never in doubt. And that leftists, like Representative Hakeem Jeffries, that extremist, and leftists like Representative Jamie Raskin, that election denier, were actually willing to let the FBI not provide it. That's how you know we have two very different views of America. You have the view of America that the people's representatives have rights and you have the view of the of, of America, the view of America, that the political right must be destroyed no matter what. That's where Hakeem Jeffries and Jamie Raskin are at. And I'm very happy that James Comer was successful here. Let this be a lesson to everyone. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is Tony Katz Today.
2: Well, I talked to players, I've talked at a player meeting, and I've and I've talked to a number of players uh, individually uh, for a long period of time, and I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that there are significant implications, and as it relates to the families of 9-11, uh, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones, and so my heart goes out to them, and I would ask... You know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour?
0: That's the PGA Tour Commissioner, Jay Monahan, speaking on, I think it was June 12th of 2022. So basically a year ago, there's Jay Monahan on CBS talking to Jim Nance about LIV Golf, this Saudi backed venture. And here he is saying, my gosh, how could any golfer go there? How could you possibly uh, be a part of that? You should be ashamed. Invoking September 11th and a year later, he's part of the reason that there is a combination of merger between the two. How in the world does this guy get to stick around? Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. JMV joins me right now from 93.51075 The Fan in Indianapolis, the voice of sports in Indiana. I want to get it from a guy who pays a little more attention, certainly to the golf game, certainly playing the golf game, things like that when you're not playing basketball. Um, This merger seems possibly inevitable but also highly unlikely considering the levels of bad blood that has that now exists when players decided why can't i be part of this tour why can't i only be part of the pga tour how describe liv or, or live or live i don't even know how they pronounce it in in a in an elevator pitch and then what was, what is the take worldwide about this merger
3: Well, I mean, it's going to be controlled, obviously, uh, by the Saudis now, and that's, you mentioned the commissioner and his words, Jim Nance, just a year ago. Um, And I'm assuming you're going to ask me a little bit later on about, all right, so, you know, what's the timetable for him? Is he going to end up being out? And I'm assuming, Tony, that when you play the role of one of the bigger hypocrites that we have seen over the past decade, decade plus, two decades, whatever, you probably have a massive buyout in this. So... I don't know if this was inevitable, but I think you know as well as I do, you mostly live in the political world, the news world. I'm in the sports world. That ultimately we both know this that money's going to win out. One of the greatest lines of all time in film was Bud Fox asking Gordon Gekko on Wall Street, All right, you know, how many yachts do you need to water ski behind? When is enough? Enough. And ultimately, Tony, you and I both know that it's never going to be enough. And this was a stage of that. Now we'll offer up this and this is from my friend Ted Bishop who was the 38th president of the PGA of America. And this is something I didn't think about, this is something I haven't heard brought up very often is maybe the financial plan longer term was viewed by the PGA as not being something they could work with, not being something that was going to work for them and uh, maybe they kind of jumped at this offer with just massive amounts of money and an absolute open checkbook, but what it does do, just beyond the PGA, Tony, it kind of stirs the thoughts of, all right, so, you know, what about some other things here? You know, what about, you know, we saw Lionel Messi get offered a mess of money uh, to play in Saudi Arabia. He initially he turned that down, and, and now he's playing in the MLS in Miami. But I guess you're just going to have to ask yourself, when is enough enough? And in this case, for Monaghan to come across as just, just humongous type of hypocrite Clearly, uh, the money was the situation over integrity and those words that he had said as you played back so a year ago. It's amazing.
0: It's really important never to confuse the topics. The when is enough is enough conversation is not one I buy into. The integrity one of where is enough enough, that's a conversation. So there are two different things, and this was just yesterday on Golf Today where Monaghan is trying to defend his position, right? Defend what he, he had already said, defend on how this deal is, is coming together. And this is what he said uh, to, to, to the golf channel, to the golf people there at NBC.
3: Jay, the 9-11 Families United made a strong statement yesterday. They said you co-opted the 9-11 community in taking a moral stance against Liv. How would you respond to
2: that group? Well, I um, I read Terry's comments. Uh, I I you know obviously acknowledge her loss and completely understand her position. And to the question that you were just asking, you know, I wish I think about the fact that. I allowed confidentiality to prevail here, and in allowing confidentiality to prevail, I did not communicate to very important constituents, including the families of 9/11, and I regret that. Uh, I, I I really do. Um, but as we sit here today, you know, I, I think I think it's important to you know to reiterate that. Um, I feel like the move that we've made and, and how we move forward is in the best interest of our sport. We've eliminated those fractures. Um, but for, for any, uh, any difficulties I've caused on that front, again, I have to own that as well, and that comes back to communication.
0: So he's making this argument, I would love to have shared more about what was going on, but I had to do my job, and so therefore don't get angry with me. It's a very ugly, ugly answer from Jay Monahan. But really now we get into two more things. Where are the players on this, and where are the fans on this? You know, there are players who have been having serious beefs with golf commentators. It has gotten nasty, and it has gotten personal. Where are the players on this new uh, world, and what about the fans and maybe even the sponsors? Are they still going to be around? Will they be participate in something that is, as you stated, JMV, Saudi-backed?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it just depends on, on where you are. And it depends on how much money is going to be offered up, how much of an opportunity it is there, and then how much, you know, of your integrity/slash backbone, if you've if you've been, you know, outspoken against it, how much is it there? I'll give you a great example. Roy McIlroy was one of the the biggest offers that has not only been outspoken but continues to be outspoken regarding that. But he is still going to play. I think his words yesterday, Tony. Where to the effect of, you know, sometimes the bully is going to win. In this case, we know what he means. Sometimes those with the most money are going to win out, and for him to play golf at the top level, he's going to have to join into or be a part of something that he does not want to be a part of that he has been outspoken against. So once again, as we started the conversation, money is going to win out. And with the advertisers and with all that in mind, we'll see how much money ultimately wins out. I mean, and and this is something, Tony, we'll probably not talk about this today, but further down the road, we could have implications with other sports, other professional sports, you know, other teams. Who knows what type of ownership that this whole thing may open up as a Pandora's box of sorts here. I mean, it's been an amazing week, and for certainly Monaghan, it has been a hugely hypocritical type of week. But I, I guess I come down this way. Um, and you probably have talked about things before where you have openly debated an angle that turned out to be incredibly wrong. Um, I have done that before as well. Uh, You try not to be a hypocrite in case Monaghan comes across as maybe one of the bigger hypocrites with what he said a year ago and how he continues to try to cover this up now and justify it uh, a year later. It is absolutely amazing. But again, money wins out and it's, always going to win
0: out. You know, you you bring up other sports. Uh, the, The difference here is that golf certainly has an international base to it. And while the NFL was desperate to have more of an international base, that base is an American base. And they're already bothered enough by the fact that you want to play in the UK. You want to play in Germany. You're making me get up at all different kinds of hours. You're, you're literally got football on seven days a week. You're saying, screw it to the college game and everything else. You're making me do all this stuff. Uh, the NFL fan is a different fan who's watching TV than the golf fan. And no, I don't think the NFL could get away with this. The NBA has certainly tried regarding its relationships with China that have been very, very dicey. The foot. Football doesn't go down this road. You don't see Saudi ownership of a team anytime soon in any major way.
3: Tony, man, never say never, brother. Never say never about any of this because here's something we haven't talked about yet, which will happen now, because of what the PGA has done with this, if you want to call it a merger. I guess that's exactly what it is. But what they have done is now, Tony, they've made it easier to a sense, right, for you to dabble if you wanted to. into a realm like that financially, something that is financially uh, driven for you because now the PGA, Jay Monahan, they're taking all the heat. But, you know, the next one to do it, probably a little bit less heat. The next one after that, less than that. So what this does, this could soften or cushion the blow, even if you're talking about the NFL. And I know we're talking about the biggest deal sports-wise in America. Even if you're talking about that, what this does, it has softened the blow Others, if they have been approached about a business deal, if they have thought about a business deal, um, to maybe go with that business deal, because now the PGA, Jay Monaghan, is taking all the heat. And that heat, once we go further down the road, I would think would be a little bit less than it is right now. So I think it opens up the door for a lot of things, maybe, probably things we haven't thought about in the past would come to fruition. I think it probably sets it up for being more of a reality than what we ever thought.
0: Talking to JMV from 93.51075, The Fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. We saw LIV come to be as a way to compete against the PGA. Now you've got this new entity that has the PGA Tour, LIV, and DP World Tour, which is out of, of Europe. Does this now cause somebody else to say, just, if, just as you're saying it, well, maybe it opens the door for this or that. Doesn't this open the door for competition? Hey, we're going to create an all-American tour. We're not going to take any of that Saudi money, and uh, golfers come golf for us. Doesn't it create that opportunity? Well,
3: it, it does, but, I mean, financially speaking, how long could you – you'd have to have a, a great financial stake and a great investment in this to be able to withstand what you're going up against right now. I think that is the the root of the the situation here, Tony, is that the Saudis have an open checkbook. This is an open checkbook. And I don't know how many people with a startup like what you're talking about, maybe, you know, red, white, and blue, all American startup. This is what you have to be. I just don't know how sustainable something like that would be going against this. I think that's why you, you look at what could be, And you brought up a great point by saying there's no way in the world this would ever happen in the NFL. But in terms of this amount of limitless money, Tony, you can never say never. Do I expect it to happen? Absolutely not. Because you know the NFL, how guarded they are against their shield and the integrity of their shield. But we'll see financial circumstances change. And oftentimes, you know, you get the most money out there, uh, in a situation, people are going to jump on that. That's what we have seen here, and I'm not going to say never to anything in the future with somebody that can just open up a checkbook and scratch out a check to whatever level they want.
0: By the way, you, you've said this a couple times. So let's make sure we're all on the same page. In your mm-hmm. view, Saudi Arabia now control controls professional golf. Um, I think for the most part, yeah, yeah. I don't know how you look at it any other way, Tony. JMV ninety three five one zero seven five the fan JMV I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So Pence is in the race and Christie's in the race and Bergam is in the race. Who? Yeah, exactly. Got to admit, the guy's got an interesting story. David Bergam, the governor of North Dakota. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. The guy has had successes. The guy has had financial uh, successes. Uh, The guy has had political successes. I mean, it's kind of incredible. When he ran for governor of North Dakota, David Burgum, no one knew who he was. He was in the private sector. He had zero political experience. The Republicans had already nominated somebody. He beat that guy to get the nomination, then won the governor's mansion, and then won re-election in 2020 by a large, large margin. So there's, you know, is, is there money for him, or can he can he, for, to the extent, self fund at least make himself interesting, propel himself, maybe. I don't, I don't say, you know, right away you got to dismiss these people. I, I do remain steadfast in the reality that this is a race between Trump and DeSantis. So what's everybody else doing? And as I described in my, my video yesterday over there at Rumble, rumble.com slash Tony Katz, there's nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose when you run for president. You can only gain something. Chris Christie really is going to run again Chris Christie is going to to bring people in he's going to get people excited now all of a sudden there's there's a real real desire for Chris Christie I you can't get me to buy into that you can't get me to believe that no matter what he says on Fox and
1: Friends Well, look, I believe the Republican Party has been losing now um, for nearly seven years uh, after Donald Trump's win in 2016. Uh, which I was a large part of uh, you know we haven't been able to win anything since then lost the house in 2018 lost the Senate and the White House in 2020 those Georgia Senate seats in early 21 and we horribly underperformed in 2022 lost governorships lost the Senate seat and barely won the House of Representatives when everyone thought we'd be at 240 or 250 yeah. seats right so we're tired of losing and and it, look If if the person at the top gets all the credit when things go well, they also must be accountable for what happens when things go badly.
0: He keeps wanting to push this idea that Trump just can't handle the fact he can't be a good leader, he can't handle that he's the reason that we're losing. I just don't know the levels to which that's going to resonate into a campaign. But, again, it doesn't cost him anything. The people who hate him already hate him. It just elevates him, and some people are going to like the conversation. If it gets Trump out, he feels like he's victorious. And if it gets Trump out, some people are like, you know, we like this guy. He's honest, and he's refreshing. We forget how much we like him. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. It is politics, but it's still a very, very small path. Burgum has a small path. Christie has a small path. And yes, Mike Pence is a very small path. You have a path to a book signing. Uh, On Saturday, June 10th, 3 to 5 p.m. at Premier Arms in Brownsburg, signing copies of my book, Let's Go Barbecue, 3 to 5 p.m. You can also have a chance for every book purchased to win some amazing uh, swags and prize packs for Father's Day. It is the perfect Father's Day gift. So come join me, Premier Arms PA Jewelers in Brownsburg. On Saturday, June 10th from 3 to 5 p.m. And in Westfield, Indiana, Big Hopla's Barbecue. We're signing Sunday, June 11th from 3 to 5 p.m. More swag and giveaways there as well. Two places to get Let's Go Barbecue. You can also get it at Amazon.com. I'll catch you tomorrow, everyone. Take care.